0: Amen. Well, thank you for that. That was, uh, was quite a treat for me. Now, um, I wasn't warned that, you know, might be a little emotional, though. <laughs> Should have warned a brother, helped the brother out here. Um, but it, yeah, it's, it's, it's my privilege for them to be with us today. So that, that's a great thing. Uh, I do want to, before we get started, I want to give you a, a quick update on Jeff. So he's doing better. I, I was over at his house yesterday morning. Kenny and I got to spend a little bit of time with him and, and he's doing better. So he wants to again uh, have me thank you for your prayers and ask you to continue praying. I, I, you know, I think we're going to see him soon. So, so praise the Lord for that. But, but keep, keep praying for him. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 27. Acts chapter 27. And, and um, just as we're getting started... I again want to offer to you my sincere thanks. Um, I'm so thankful for you as a church body in following the Lord's leading in your life through these past few weeks. And I'm, I'm thankful for your trust in me, or, or at least your trust that I'll follow the Lord in leading you. And, and like I told you last week, I, I'm so thankful for you embracing me and, and my family. It has been. Um, and it continues to be a joy uh, to be a part of this church and it's because of you guys Um, so thank you for that so today you know I guess officially kicks off my leadership here at 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 this church as lead pastor and I I want to express to you today I want you to know just how excited I am for all that I believe God has in store for us and while this change is kind of a unique one, and because of that, I trust it's going to be a smooth one, and, and we should all praise the Lord for that. It's still a change nonetheless. And one of the interesting, you know, people like change, don't like change. There's, you know, there's all different gamuts of emotion that come with change. But one thing about change is it comes with an element of the unknown, now, again, for the most part, you know me. I've been here three years. You know what I believe. So this change certainly, hopefully, at least comes with, with less unknown than most. But there's still some. That there's an inevitability about that. But when it comes to the unknown aspects of this change, here is how I want you to think about it. I want you to think about it with the prospect of opportunity. Because maybe you're in need of a change too. Well, there are changes going on around here, obviously, so you might as well be a part of it. It just means that there's a new opportunity for you to get on board with all that God is doing here. And that should be exciting for you. Another thing change represents is, is, is that God's doing something. God's up to something. And I believe good things are happening, and God is moving, and I just want to tell you today that you don't want to miss it. Listen, the the train's taking off. You don't want to get left at the station. You need to get excited with us and get on board. We need to do all this together. And the natural thing for me to do today, and my first official Sunday as your lead pastor, is to tell you how to do what I just talked about, to tell you how to get on board with us. and. And to cast vision and and lay out all my plans. But the truth be told, we're not not changing that stuff. How you get on board is the same as it has been. It's our path of growth. It's attending, learning, engaging, and leading. Our vision, for the most part, it's staying the same. So I don't feel like I need to, to preach that type of message today. Now... If you're new and you're not quite aware of our path of growth or our vision for for being an ascending church outwardly and how we're going to strengthen families to the glory of God inwardly, well, keep coming. Just keep coming. I promise you that you're going to learn all about that soon enough. But what I want to give you instead of that, what I want to give you today is a warning. And listen, I'm sorry. I mean, I I wanted to be all like rah-rah and celebratory. It's not the way God made me, but, you know, listen, you voted for me. (laughs) At least some of you did. I know not everybody, but some of you did. But in spite of today's sermon being awarding, listen, I, I really do hope it's an encouragement. Because I mean it from the bottom of my heart when I say that I want you on board. That I don't want you to miss out on what God is doing. And and so what today is in in the form of this warning is preparation. It's going to allow us to get ready. And today, the warning is going to be about some winds, some winds, W-I-N-D-S. And this is kind of a follow-up to to our sermon last week out of Mark chapter 4. And what we're going to see in Acts 27 are some of the winds of life that hit us. And they try to knock us off course. And I'm just telling you that God has a course for us, for this church, for you, and for your family. But if you don't understand the wind warnings that we are going to be talking about today, you risk missing it. You risk missing all that God has. And I think this is especially important for us today because because here's what I know. If it is in fact true that, that God's up to something and God's moving and he wants us to do more and allow Jeff to slide over in, into a position to, to allow us to do more there and then do more here, if, if that's all true, which I've, I fully believe it is, then, then that means that it's not going to go unnoticed. That means Satan's going to take note. Listen, this transition that we're in the midst of, it is, it is smooth. It's unique and it's smooth. And that's the last thing Satan wants. He wants it to be a bumpy road. He doesn't want it to be a smooth transition. And, and I promise you that at some point he's going to fight back. And then this morning, what I want to do today is I want to show you exactly how he's going to fight back. How he is going to push back through these winds that we see. Acts 27 in my opinion is one of those paramount passages dealing with spiritual warfare. It's one that you have to understand. It's one that you have to get down. A couple of weeks ago I mentioned in, in passing when we were when we were looking at the first part of 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and we were talking about the strongholds, I mentioned to you that 2 Samuel chapter 5 is a key for understanding how to overcome strongholds. Well that's a paramount passage too. I I I promise one day we'll get to that. And I'll, I'll show you how that, that breaks down. I didn't do that then. But Acts 27 that we're going to look at today is, is that. It's that when it comes to spiritual warfare. So it is imperative that we get this today. That we recognize the winds that, that blow against each one of us and against churches. And know what to do in the face of them. And so that's what today's about. And listen, you know, today's a different day. Today's a different day. We we have guests. It's my first Sunday. And so the, this message is, is gonna be a little bit different. It's not the normal the type that, the, that I will preach and, and will continue to preach. And I promise you, we'll get all, we'll get back to all that. We're gonna get back to 2 Corinthians very soon. We're gonna keep going through that book and finishing out. That's all coming. But I needed to clear a clearer space today to give you what we're gonna what we're gonna look at. And today we're going to walk through a good portion of this chapter in Acts chapter 27. And I'm just going to pull out some principles along the way and some lessons that we need to learn through them. So, so we're going to build to something. And, and listen, I'll, I'll tell you up front, I don't have the time and I, and, I won't keep you extra long or, or I'll try not to. We don't have the time to build everything I, I want to build today. We'll, we'll, we'll get to it all one day. I, just, I want to give you... The, the surface level of what we need to see here in our, our first Sunday together in this form but we're going to build to something and I'm going to try to put a bow on it at the end and so you'll have to stay with me through this so you ready Amen. all right well praise the Lord let's open up in a word of prayer let's ask God to bless our time and then we're going to get into our passage dear Heavenly Father we love you so much we love you for who you are Lord that song what kind of love is this Lord seriously that the, you would die for us we thank you for it Lord and But because of it, now we have a responsibility to do something about it. Those of us that know you, that have accepted that gift. So Lord, I pray that you use this passage today to prepare us for all that's ahead. To be able to recognize the wins that we're going to face. And then how to to combat them in in the spiritual warfare uh, that we face in in our everyday life. God, I ask you to be glorified in it. I ask everything that is said to be true to your word. Lord, and I ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Okay, so Acts... Chapter 27 is a story of the first part of, of Paul's trip to Rome as a prisoner. And, it, and it's for those of you who are familiar, it's a very rough trip. It includes a shipwreck, that sort of thing. And, and I'm going to set the context for you because in the, in the chapters leading up to chapter 27, actually all the way back into chapter 21 and chapter 22, Paul has been arrested he spends two years in prison in Caesarea, which, which is on the Mediterranean coast of Israel. And Paul was accused of crimes by the Jewish leaders. He was put on trial before the governor, Festus. You know, Acts chapter 26, he's on trial before King Agrippa. And during that time, Paul demanded his right as a Roman citizen to be tried by Caesar. And so Festus agrees, he knows he has to allow him, and, and he eventually sends Paul to Rome to stand trial. And so that brings us to Acts chapter 27. Acts chapter 27 describes the first leg of Paul's trip to Rome to stand trial as a prisoner. So this was his course at this time of life, you know, his course so to speak. And as you're probably aware, we've talked about it many times, the Bible calls our life, particularly our spiritual life, calls it a course many times. For example, Paul was all about his course of life and finishes his course of life. These are verses many of you will be familiar with, but Acts chapter 20, verse 24, Paul said, but none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. And the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And at the end of his life, the last book Paul wrote, he said, I fought a good fight in in 2 Timothy 4-7. He said, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. And Paul used this analogy, and he uses other analogies like race and and course and and these sorts of things, and he uses them because that's exactly how he viewed his life. He saw it as having a, a definite beginning and end, and he saw it with stages in between, he saw it with a goal in sight to finish well, to receive crowns to the glory of God, and he saw it as an exercise that included strategy and mission. And that's because, as it turns out, our course is an obstacle course. I mean, you might not have known that when you got saved, but now you do. It's an obstacle course. And the obstacles that we face in this course are, are wins. They're the wins that we're going to see today. So this trip, this course, this journey, this voyage we see Paul take is a great picture of our life and it is a great picture of the life of our church or at least your involvement in it and the risk associated with your involvement in this church. And so with that context in mind, let's, let's pick it up in verse 1. Like I said, we're just going to walk through this piece by piece and, and pull some principles and lessons out. Verse 1, And when it was determined that we should sail into Italy, they delivered Paul and certain other prisoners under one named Julius, a centurion of Augustus' band. And entering into a ship of Adramatium, we launched meaning to sail by the coast of Asia, one Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, being with us. All right, so, so stop there. Again, we're going to break this down piece by piece. And then... Like I said, Lord willing, we're going to put a puzzle together at the end. But what we see here in these first two verses is that Paul and some other prisoners, they're put under the watch of this guy, Julius, and they set sail from a seaport in Caesarea named Adramatium. And this is important, because Adramatium means, I shall abide in death. Now, remember that this entire story provides a great picture of us and our life and our spiritual course. So with that picture in mind, what you need to see here from the beginning of this story is that when Paul set sail on this journey, he started from a place of abiding in death. And, And you know what? When we go about our life, and embark on the course that God has for us, we also need to start from a place of abiding in death. And and it's a statement. I shall abide in death. And that death that I'm talking about is the crucified life. This Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And this is so important to understand this this beginning. Because the winds that we are going to see, they're going to challenge every aspect of the crucified life. They challenge the ship, they challenge the course, and they're going to challenge you. And they're going to challenge this church. And they're going to challenge all of us together giving God glory. So we have to be aware of it. We have to understand it. And we have to start from a place of abiding in death. Then verse 3, says, And the next day we touched at Sidon, and Julius courteously entreated Paul and gave him liberty to go unto his friends to refresh himself. And when he had launched from this, we sailed under Cyprus because the winds were contrary. Okay, so now the plot begins to thicken. We saw in verse two they left out of a seaport, a Dramatium. In verse three it says it took them one day to get to to Sidon, which is which is just a little bit north of where they started. We have a map up here. In fact, uh, if you put that map up, I'll, I'll, I'll show you. You can't really see it, but here's Caesarea right down here where they started. Here is Sidon. So they just it's about 80 miles. So they just travel up the coast, right about 80 miles, and 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 that was day one. No problems to report. Smooth sailing. And you know what? Sometimes that's life. Sometimes life is like that for us as well. All's good. We're headed in the right direction. We're making good time. Especially at the beginning of the course. And listen, with respect to this change in leadership here at FBC, that's where we're at. We're at the beginning. I mean, every, everybody's happy. At least I'm going to assume that. If you're not, just don't tell me. <laughs> uh, maybe at least you're not mad things are good and and it's very likely that we're going to have a smooth ride for a little while but about the time we get used to the smooth sailing verse four comes along because verse four says that when they left sidon they were pushed west towards cyprus because the winds were contrary now remember verse two verse two luke who 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 writes the book of acts Luke told us they were, they were going to try to stay along the coastline, right? So they're leaving side out here, Cyprus, right here. And they're going to try to sail along this coastline and go up around here. They get pushed out towards Cyprus. Now, that's about 150 miles. So they were going to stay close, but the winds are just pushing them. They're contrary. And they're pushing them out towards Cyprus. And, and with this, this is the very first wind that we see. and This is the wind that we see in our life. So this is point one. This is a distracting wind. This is a distracting wind. See, the Bible says the winds were contrary. It just means it was pushing against them. That's what it means. It was pushing against them. In this case, it was sideways. It was pushing them out to sea. They were trying to stay along that coast, but they were getting pushed out to sea because the winds were doing it. So listen, it wasn't stopping their progress per se, but it was definitely making it harder. It was definitely making it slower. It was making a longer route. It was was causing them some problems. So it was a distraction to what they set out to accomplish. And doesn't that describe our spiritual life sometimes? You're headed out. You're making progress. But all of a sudden, something comes along and starts distracting you from the mission. And it just starts pushing you off course a little bit. No, you're still coming. You're still showing up to church most most of the time. Or, you know, sometimes. I'm a good 50%. I mean, you know, you're still going to see me around. Just not quite as engaged as you once were. It's because you're distracted. And that's all part of Satan's plan. It's one of his attacks, and you don't even know what's happening. God doesn't want that for you. It's a wind from our enemy that we have to take note of. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, when Paul was discussing the marriage relationships and the good and the bad that comes with them, he says this in verse 35. And this I speak for your own profit, not that I may cast a snare upon you, but for that which is comely, and that ye may attend upon the Lord without distraction. See, that's God's goal for you. To attend upon him without distraction. So can I ask you, are you distracted this morning? Is there something or someone in your life that is keeping you from attending to him fully? If so, then your enemy is successfully blowing against you. And listen, there are many distractions that we face that push us off course. In fact, our flesh is just begging for them, but you have to fight that. It's Colossians 3 verses 1 and 2. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on earth. The things of this earth, distractions. And, and, and this world is just flashing one thing in front of you and the next thing in front of you. One thing after another, and we're just like squirrels. Doom, 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 doom. You know, we make fun of and laugh at our dogs because they're chasing our tail. We are no different. And God's sitting on his throne just like, oh my goodness, you have God to be kidding me. He's following that thing. He's chasing his tail again. Are you kidding me? One distraction after another. They're not bad things. Like they were still making progress. They were going up the coast. They were just getting pushed off to the side a little bit. It's a distraction. Or then people come into our life and they just, they distract us just enough. And Either they make us mad or they make us happy one way or the other. It doesn't even matter. They're distraction. Set your affection on things above. Fight that, distract, that distracting wind. Okay, now pick up back in verse 5. And we had sailed over the sea of Cilicia and Pamphylia. We came to Myra, the city of Lycia. And there the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing into Italy. And he put us therein. And we had sailed slowly many days and scarce were come over under Nidus. The wind not suffering us, not allowing us. We sailed under Crete. Over against Samone. And here we see our second round of trouble and our second wind. After they left Sidon, they were pushed out west. So let's see that map again. So they leave here. They're pushed out west. So They were going to try to stay along this coast. Myra is up here. You I I can't really see it, but it's, it's right in here. Right there. So they were going to try to stay along the coast, but they got pushed out to Cyprus. So they just kind of scoot around Cyrus. They go past Cilicia, Pamphylia, and they come to Myra. And so then after that, they're going to try to make some, some ground, but they hit this wind that won't allow them. They're going to try to, so Rome, you know, is over here. So they're going to try to kind of go through here. Down here is Crete. The wind wouldn't allow them to go this way. It pushes them down under Crete it it stopped them it stopped their path where they were going and in Myra Julius makes a decision that they need to change ships he wanted them to get in something bigger so that the winds wouldn't push them as much as they pushed in the last leg so he found a ship out of Alexandria sailing to Italy into Rome and that's the ship he chooses I'm sure it's more comfortable, probably easier to read. I don't know. But listen, as soon as they got into that ship from Alexandria, they were actually doing okay. They were just distracted. They changed ships to make the route easier. And as soon as they changed ships from Alexandria, they hit the second type of wind. And this one wouldn't let them move forward. This one nearly stopped them. They had to change their course completely. The Bible says they sailed slowly many days because the wind was not suffering them or allowing them to make good progress. They even changed routes. And for us, here's the principle and here's the picture. This wind is a doctrinal wind. And I say that because Alexandria is in Egypt, and Egypt is a picture of the world. This is the entire story of the Exodus. It's never mentioned in a good light. Egypt isn't, and neither is Alexandria. The first time Alexandria is mentioned in the Bible is in Acts 6, verse 9, and it's linked with unbelievers and the persecution and eventual death of Stephen. The second time Alexandria is mentioned in the Bible is Acts 18, 24, and it involved Apollos, who was a good man, even called mighty in the Scriptures, but in the context, he was teaching bad doctrine. He was still teaching the baptism of John. And Aquila and Priscilla come to set him straight. And and we don't have time to go into this. But very quickly, when it comes to our Bible, when it comes to the Word of God, there are two lines. There are two lines of Bible. There's God's line out of Antioch, which gives us the King James Bible. There's another line that is not God's line out of Alexandria that gives us every other English Bible. And in contrast to Alexandria, every time you, f- you see Antioch mentioned in the Bible, it is set in a good light. The first mention is Acts 6-5. Probably no coincidence that it's the same chapter as Alexandria's first mention. And the context is it being the home of a spirit-filled deacon. It's also where the followers of Christ were first called Christians. That's in Acts eleven twenty six. And when he had found him, he brought him into Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church. Taught many people, and the disciples were first called Christians, or the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. So let me make this very simple for you Antioch, good, Alexandria, bad. Got it? But in context, Alexandria represents doctrinal confusion. And listen, this is a wind that some Christians face from time to time. And they hear about, or they read about, or they talk to someone about some doctrine. And they get confused about what they believe. And now 2 Peter 1.20 tells us that knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is, is of any private interpretation. That means we need God's interpretation of the Bible. You need pure doctrine. If you are going to stay on course. This doctrinal wind will stop you. You change courses. At the very least, it slows down your progress to the point of ineffectiveness for Christ. And we don't want that. There's so much more to say about it, but we don't have time. Back to Acts 27. We've made it to verse 8. And hardly passing it, it Crete came unto a place which is called the Fair Havens, nigh whereunto was the city of Lycia. When now, when much time was spent, and when sailing was now dangerous, because the fast was now already past, Paul admonished them. And we'll see Paul's admonishment here in a little bit, but skip down to verse 12. Because the haven was not commodious to winter in, the more part advised to depart thence also, if by any means they might attend unto Phoenice, and there to winter, which is a haven of Crete, and lieth toward the southwest and northwest. And verse verse 13. And when the south wind, here's our third wind, blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, purpose, loosing thence, they sailed close by Crete. So, I mean, put that map up there one more time, I don't, I don't know if we have it, but, um, so that, that Crete, so again, they were up here, and then you have Lycia down here, Fair Havens down here, and so this is Crete, this wasn't their intended way to go, they were going to go through here, but they got pushed down there. Okay, and so now they're trying to decide. They've lost some time and they're just trying to decide what they're going to do. So they, they make it to this place called Fair Havens on the island of Crete. The Bible says it was not commodious. Right? It's what the Bible says. It was, it was, uh, it was not commodious. Verse 12. And because the haven was not commodious to winter in, um, they decide to keep going. Right? So commodious means a comfortable place to stay. And And listen, that should hit home for some of us. Because if it ain't comfortable, we don't want it. And listen, if you're only interested in comfort, forget it. You're definitely not going to stay on course. You're just not. And again, as much as I'd like to camp there, there's no time. It's not about the winds. So they make it to Havens on Crete, but they decide to keep going. Even though verse 9 says that it was dangerous to sail because the fast was already passed. And the fast, what that refers to is the Jewish Day of Atonement, what's called Yom Kippur now. The Jewish Day of Atonement, which, which falls in September, late September, October time frame. And every sailor knew that sailing the Mediterranean from mid-September to mid-November was difficult and dangerous. And then impossible after mid-November, at least in those days. And this was one of the reasons why this decision was a big one. Because this was the last leg that they were going to get to before, before winter. So they were going to stay wherever they made it. They were staying there for the winter. And they knew it. So their question was whether they were going to spend the winter in, in the fair havens or try to get to Phoenix, which was a more comfortable place to spend the winter. And we see in verse 13 that even though the sailors knew it was a dangerous time to sail... The weather looked good. Says the south winds blew softly. It was nice. It was warm. And it was gentle. And all seemed good. So they took off. Here was the problem. Those south winds were lying to them. And that brings us to the third wind we face. And that's a deceiving wind. You see, it seemed like everything was okay, but disaster was looming on the horizon. And you know this just as well as I do, that there are times in our life when we are in danger of being deceived. And don't be surprised by that, because Satan is the greatest deceiver of all. Revelation 12, 9 says, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. And listen, those that do his bidding for him, they are trying to deceive you too. And they're trying to place false thoughts in your head and get you to question what you believe and what you're doing at this church or whatever. Romans sixteen eighteen says, For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good works and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen 13 says, For such are false prophets, or false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves under the apostles of Christ. And listen, sometimes life is confusing. And you think you should go one way, and it even seems like the weather's nice that way. And those, those winds are warm and soft. It's a gentle breeze, and it seems the right way to go. But as soon as you do, it turns out to be wrong, or at least you're not sure now. And it's deceiving, and we face deceitful people, and you just don't know which way to turn or what to do because deceit is in the air. And we get deceived when we give our ear to those who are speaking lies. And it's confusing because it's deception, and it runs deep. But let me give you a tip to help you. If there is sin in the camp, God will bring that out. It may not be on your timing, but God will bring it out. Numbers thirty-two twenty-three says, But if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. God will, if there's sin in the camp, God will bring that out. But if someone is saying something that you can't quite tell if it's right or wrong, even if it sounds right, it might even feel right, but there's no proof where you just can't get to the bottom of it, you're probably facing a deceiving wind. And you better be careful. Situations like that are confusing for a reason. And they have a source that is not God. 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, For God is not the author of confusion but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. And this is a dangerous wind. And I'm telling you about it because I love you. But there's still one more. Look at verse 14. So they were deceived. And they headed out. They headed out because they were deceived. And they were going out on their own. And look at verse 14. But not long after. It doesn't even take long. It doesn't even take long if you've been deceived. But not long after, there arose against it against it a tempestuous wind called Eurocladon and when this one had a name it's like our hurricanes you know this one had a name and when the ship was caught and could not bear up into the wind we let her drive and the last type of wind that they faced and that we face was a tempestuous or a despairing wind a despairing wind They got into a typhoon, a hurricane, whatever you want to call it. It even had its own last name. It was what we talked about last week. When you enter a storm that you can't control. And listen, there are times in life that we face despairing winds. And maybe it's a a, a bad diagnosis. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one, a tragedy of some sort. It can actually be many things. But the bottom line is, it is something that is too much for us to handle on our own. It's overwhelming. And you don't know what to do. And you don't know how to go on. You feel like David did at the beginning of Psalm chapter 13. He said, "'How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord, forever?' How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me. God, I'm crying out to you. Something has to change here. Consider and hear me, O Lord, my God, lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. I can't do it any longer. Lest mine enemies say I prevailed against him, and those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. That's despair. And obviously, the risk that, that comes with this wind is that this becomes all-consuming. And you don't even consider your course for the Lord anymore. You don't feel like you can. Or maybe you even get mad at God. And you throw in the towel completely. But I need you to know that if you are in that situation today, there is hope. There is hope to stay on course. Even if your physical ability to serve Him has been removed or diminished... There is an answer found in this chapter. In fact, no surprise, there is an answer for all four of these wins found in this chapter. And listen, I think we all know, you know just as well as I do, these wins are real. I bet you you faced them all at one point or another in your life. These are the four major winds we face in life in our spiritual course. So, I'm telling you, this is a paramount pa- pa- a passage, paramount chapter to understand with respect to spiritual warfare. Because Satan is fighting, fighting us. We're, we're learning about that every Sunday recently. But you don't have to be defeated. Because, well, there are four winds that we see in this chapter. We see those, those four different winds, and they hit us and they do different things to us. They're designed. To, to, to knock us off course in different ways. There are also four times that Paul speaks in this chapter. Paul's a prisoner. He sets off from a place of abiding in death. And there's four times he speaks. He has a message to the people of this ship. Four times he has something to say. And, and most of them are after the winds we've already looked at, Actually. But God, in these four messages from Paul, God paints a beautiful, beautiful picture, a beautiful picture through Paul's words, because each time He speaks, He gives us the answer to exactly how we are to combat one of the winds from the earlier in the chapter. So we have four winds. The, 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 and four winds, by the way, is an interesting study in the Bible, but we don't have time for that either. We have four winds. And now we have four messages from Paul, speaking as the apostle of the Lord. And his messages address the dangers of each wind. So so we're going to move quickly through this. I know know we're running out of time. Again, we we don't have time to really put this all together like I'd like to, but but, but we'll we'll get it one day. But I want to break this down. There's a chart there on your outline sheet. And I want to break this down for you and and show you the wind, the danger, and the answer that we hear from Paul. So the first wind that we saw, the first, like on your outline there, it was a distracting wind, right? It's a distracting wind. And remember, with this wind, you're just pushed off course a little bit. Like I said, you're still around some, sometimes. You know, you got other things to do. There's other more important things to do, you know. But, but you're, we're, you're, you're still going to see me, I promise. I'm still interested. you just headed off course a little bit because you're distracted, you're distracted by something the world is offering you, or maybe it's something someone has done to you. And, and we didn't get into all this, and, and there's not time, but the Bible has a word for it, and it's, it's, it's just carnal. If you're distracted, it's carnality. Because the distraction, whatever it is, this is why I say it, the, 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 what the distraction does is it just feeds your flesh. So it's either a fleshly desire according to 1 Timothy 2.16 or or maybe it's just something, it could be something that someone did or whatever and it hits your pride. And instead of living the crucified life and dying to yourself instead you rise up in defense of self. So you love Jesus but in contradiction to 1 John 2.15 you love the world a little bit too. Or in contradiction to Galatians 5 verses 16 and 17 you love yourself a little bit too much either way it's carnality and it describes much of christianity today this is you know in in america this is the most common wind like all these wind, well that's not true the, the doctrinal wind is off the charts but in in churches like ours i would say the the most common wind is is the distracting wind and 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 it's just there's an element of carnality to it, which is the problem. And here is the danger with this wind. And this is the next box going to the right on your chart. The danger is that you become dishonest. You become dishonest with yourself. You'll lie to yourself and say, no, I'm still fine. I'm still okay. I mean, I haven't been to church in three weeks, but I'm still reading my Bible occasionally. I'm still around. I mean, I'm still, you know, checking in on Facebook, making sure everybody's okay. So you're dishonest with yourself. And you're dishonest with others because your focus isn't where it should be, but you pretend it is. And here's one trigger that you need to be aware of and that should clue you in that you're facing this wind. It's any time you find yourself justifying yourself. If you find yourself having to just, if you feel like you're justifying yourself, either to yourself or to the Lord or to someone else, at that point, you need to check yourself. And listen, you need to check yourself and you need to listen to Paul. Because Paul gives us the answer with this wind. The first time he speaks in this this chapter. The first time Paul speaks in this chapter is in verse 10. Back in verse 10. When they were trying to figure out which way they were going to go. And they were deciding to keep moving. Paul says, verse 10, And said unto them, this is Paul, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the lading and the ship, but also of our lives. And here is what we get from that. Paul told the truth. He just told, he's, They wanted to go on. And he's like, listen, guys, if we go on, we're going to die. I perceive this will come with much hurt and much damage, not only to the ship, but also to our lives. He told the truth. And here's the lesson for us combating the distracting win. It's just very simple. Be honest. If the danger is dishonesty, the answer is stop it. For all you Bob Newhart fans out there, if you know what I'm talking about. But it's true. Stop it. Stop being dishonest. Be honest with yourself for once. Look yourself in the mirror and at least call it what it is. You don't, if you, don't, you don't have to change if you don't want to. You should. It's a shame if you don't. But at least call it what it is. Be honest with yourself and warn yourself just like Paul warned the others on that ship. This is the same type of admonition that he gave to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5. He said examine yourselves. Whether you be in the faith, prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates? It's like you need to be honest with yourself. Sometimes we just have to be willing to admit like Paul did in Romans seven eighteen. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. I know the distractions are coming, and I'm susceptible to them. For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. Admit it. Be honest about it, because if you're honest about it, then you can do something about it. You'll never get past it if you're not honest with yourself, if you're not honest with the Lord, if you're not honest with others. The the, the solution is pray the prayer that David did in Psalm 139. This is what David teaches us in Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. He's honest with the Lord, and he just says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. It's honesty. Lord, search me. Let me know, is there a wickedness in me? And if so, lead me out of it. There's a way out. There's always a way out. It starts with being honest. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with the Lord. And when you get the answer to those requests, do something about it. Always check yourself, always be honest with yourself and know that your flesh is just waiting to be distracted and waiting to take you off course. Let's not let that happen. Let's be honest with each other in it too. Now the second one we saw was the doctrinal wind. It's getting messed up in, in Alexandria. And here's the danger for those facing this wind, that you become distrustful. You become distrustful of God's word. And you even become distrustful of those delivering it to you. And Paul gives the answer to this when the second time he speaks in verse 21. And and, and just so we we keep cohesiveness in the story, let me bring you up to speed. They hit that Eurachlidon. Paul had tried to get them to stay in in fair havens. They didn't take that advice. They end up in Eurachlidon. In verses 16 through 20, like verse 15, it says they couldn't do anything. They just had to let her drive. And in verses 16 through 20, they're going through that storm many days. And they're throwing stuff off the ship to try to lighten it. They can't control it. So they're just doing anything they can. They're just trying to survive. They get to the point at the end of verse 20 that Luke, again the author of Acts, he says, all hope that we should be saved was was then taken away. They were done. They weren't going to make it. In their mind it was over. And it was at that point when all hope is lost that Paul decides to speak up again. And look at what he says. First of all, it's funny. But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and says, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me. And not have loosed from Crete. And to have gained this harm and loss. So he's saying, listen, I told you so. I, I did my part. I was honest. I was honest. I told you so. But look at verse 22. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there should be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. They're going to lose the ship, but we're not going to lose any people. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar. And lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. So, he's, you know, I love the human side. It, 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 you know, it gets a little bit at my carnality that I like just a little too much. But he he ends this round of speaking. Look at verse 25. This is the key. Well, verse 24 is the key and verse 25. There's too much to cover. But verse 25. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God, and it shall be even as it was told me. And listen, that is so good. Whether you know it or not, that's an awesome statement. And that is the answer to the doctrinal wind. Believe God. Let God be true and every man a liar. When it comes, when you're not sure how to handle some doctrinal positions, believe God. And you say, well, that sounds simple. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to do. No, you didn't, that means you didn't catch what, what, it, what he really said. Because there are a whole lot of churchgoers who believe in God. But they don't believe God. So did you hear that? Listen, I'm going to say it one more time. There are a whole lot of Christians who believe in God. But they don't believe God. You see, believing in the gospel is a lot easier than living out the gospel. And and listen to me now, because if you want to know why your life lacks power, it could be that you believe in God. And that's easy to do. But when it comes down to it, you do not believe God. You can look at the sun and the moon and the stars and believe in God, you can look at your hands and how you live and breathe every day and believe in God. But do you believe God in terms of what he's told you in this book? Do you believe what God said? Do you believe God? That's where real faith comes in. Not just in believing in God, but do you believe God as to what he said in his word? Because if you seek it out in sincerity... If you truly want the answer, God's going to give it to you. That you have, that is a promise in his word. Deuteronomy 4.29. But if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him. If thou seek him with all thy heart and with all thy soul. We talked about promises last week, didn't we? Most of them are conditional. If you do your part, you will find him 100% of the time if you seek him honestly and sincerely with your whole heart and whole soul. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe, the believe God as to what he said in his word. Listen, because the Bible isn't of private interpretation, doesn't mean that there isn't a right interpretation, and it doesn't mean you can't find it. You can, but you have to trust the Lord. You have to trust those God-putting leadership around you unless you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they are going against the word of God. And it's just the way God set it up. It's for your protection. And if you go back to Acts 27, they survived all the winds because Paul was in the boat. That's what he said. Paul thought they were dying too. And then God came to him and said, listen, you have to stand before Caesar. They survived because Paul was in the boat. You need to find your Paul. You don't want to get messed up in doctrinal winds. Find your Paul. And stick to his side. And don't leave him. Because he's got a connection to God. And you want to be saved in some doctrinal winds? Believe what God says in his word. Let God be true and every man a liar. And find your Paul. Don't leave him. Seek the Lord honestly. That's how you survive it. And the third wind we saw was the deceiving wind. And there are deceivers out there trying to lull you to sleep. And and while they may purport to love the Lord, they are doing the devil's bidding. Whether they even know it or not, truly some of them might not. But here's the danger when you are listening to them. When you're surrounded by deception and that deceiving wind, the danger is to become disconnected. I mean, how many of you know someone who's become disconnected from this church because they were deceived at one point or another? And they got caught up in a wind that sounded right and it felt right, but it wasn't right. And the answer to that wind is found in the lesson we get from Paul the third time he speaks. It's found in verse 31. So again, just to keep you up with the story, between verses 25 and 31... The, the, wind, the storm dies down, but they're just drifting in the sea. They can't control the ship anymore. It's, it's lost all its ability to, to be maneuvered. It's, beaten and, it's been beaten and battered by Eurachlodon. They finally come up upon an island. So they're, they're, what God said was true, they're going to be saved. But getting to the island becomes somewhat tricky because there's rocks, very dangerous rocks in the way. And so some of the passage, there's like, you know, a, a lifeboat. That, that says in verse 30. And so it doesn't call it a lifeboat. I'm calling it a lifeboat. It just calls it a little boat or something like that. But um, is what we would know as a lifeboat to try to get to the shore. So that's verse 30. But look at what Paul says in verse 31. Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, except these abide in the ship, cannot be saved. And here's the lesson. Here's the answer to the deceiving wind. Be here. Stay in the boat. Don't leave us. Be patient. God, let God true in every man a liar. If there's sin in the camp, God will bring it out. Let God do his work. Stick it out. Don't be deceived. Don't isolate yourself. Because if you isolate yourself, you'll never be back. Proverbs 18.1 says, Through desire a man, having separated himself, seeketh and intermeddleth with all wisdom. Not just God's wisdom. He's intermingling, intermedalith with the world's wisdom, and that's not a good thing. Someone who separates himself is going to find themselves in a very dangerous spot. So don't disconnect. Talk to someone. Stay. That's why you need your Paul. So you can go talk to your Paul. Stay in the boat. We don't want you to leave. If you disconnect, it won't be long before you're gone. And once you're gone, good luck getting back to your course a deceiving wind and it is the work of the devil but there's one last wind and I know I'm sorry that we're running out of time I'm trying to, try to get this quickly and that's the despairing wind that's your rock on when you're in it you have to just let her drive it's the only option you have and she's going to take you where she takes you and like I said these are the tragedies we face in life and here's the danger with this wind It's to become discouraged. And when this type of wind hits you, it's just tough to get off the floor. And as we've already discussed, the discouragement can lead you to completely leave the course. But with Paul's fourth and final time speaking, we find the answer. And really, in this situation, it's the only thing we got. It starts in verse 33. And while the day was coming on, Paul besought them all to take meat saying this is the 14th day, they 14 days without eating. They had just been drifting. 14th day you've tarried, continued fasting, having taken nothing. Wherefore, I pray you to take some meat, for this is for your health. For there should not a hair fall from the head of any of you. He's reiterating again, we're, not, we're making it. We're, di- we're not dying. And when he had thus spoken, he took bread and gave thanks to God in presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. So they get to this final point of of death or survival. Of course, they survive, as, as we know. But they get to this point, this final point. And they, you know, they didn't, these weren't, you know, believers. They didn't know if Paul knew what he was talking about or not. Paul was a prisoner. And Paul sits them down and tells them to eat because they need strength. And then what he does in front of them is awesome. He took bread. He thanked God. He broke it. And he began to eat. And the beautiful picture that we see of communion here as is just an act of worship. And the lesson for us and the answer to this final wind is the only thing you're left with in that despairing wind is just be thankful. And let me say it this way. Just worship anyway. Look at everything God has already done for you. And even if you don't survive this one, isn't he still good? Remember David in Psalm 13? How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord, forever? How long shall thou hide thy eyes from me, thy face from me? We read those first four verses and saw him in despair. Now I want you to see the final two verses of that chapter. Look how David responds to his despair and discouragement. We pick it up right where we left off in verse 5. He says, but I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord, because he had dealt bountifully with me. You see, he decided to just worship anyway. He was just thankful for what God had already done in his life. And we don't see anywhere in that chapter that David's situation changed. But his heart did. He didn't allow the discouragement that he was feeling take him to the place of throwing in the towel his response instead was all I can do is thank the Lord anyway and I don't know where this is going to end but God I I admit that you're still good and I'm going to worship you anyway he knew and acknowledged that God had dealt bountifully with him no matter the outcomes and when that happens when you're able to get to that point you stay on the course and God gets honor out of your life, even if he takes you home. God gets honor out of your life, and we're all edified because of it. The testimony a person has in that situation is incredible. God can use for the church at large. And listen, I, I, I know that I, I rushed through this. We're, we're out of time. But those are the winds that we are going to face. And maybe things are going well today, and I hope they are. But if so, I'm telling you, a wind's coming. So let's recognize the dangers and let's seek out the answers. We do not have to let those winds defeat us. I want this church to be stronger than ever. And I want all of you in it with us together. And, And speaking of being in this together, I am in this Christian life with Kenny Morgan. So I told you, he's my best friend. And not only is he a friend of mine, he's a friend of this church. And, and since he was so kind to be with us uh, on this special day for me, um, I want to ask him to come up and, and, and close us out in prayer. Uh, and then, and then when, he's, when he's done praying, we're still going to sing. The praise team will come up during the prayer. Um, but I want Kenny to close us out.